Talks at Afters, where you get access and insights from some of the best in the business. Here at Afters, we are on the land of the Gadigal and the Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. And I would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the extraordinarily rich 60,000 years of continuous culture that we are so fortunate to have here in Australia. Hello, I'm Nell Greenwood, CEO of Afters. And this is the place where you can find insights from some of the leading creatives in our industry. Directors, producers, podcasters, cinematographers, sound designers, screenwriters, radio makers, and more. All talking about how to make great work in complex times. Welcome to Talks at Afters. I guess I'd describe it as you're trying to get everyone's brain into your brain in a creative sense. You're just trying to get everyone on the same page as what we wanted it to be, and which is really an enormous amount of work in a way on a show that's tonally very particular. You know, so it's easy to go wrong and it's, it's, it's hard to get it right or it takes a long time to get everyone, when you've got 180 people working on the show, to get everyone on the same page of a show, especially because we were working in England. They have such a history of period dramas that there was a kind of default position of perfection, which we didn't want with the British period thing, where they all kind of want to go there. And we were like, well, we don't want that. It's a much more anarchic show. But, it, but you know, they're great craftspeople and artists, so you're asking them to do something badly, in a way. Oscar-nominated screenwriter and Afters graduate Tony McNamara and producer Marion McGowan join our very own Afters head of screenwriting, Peter Aquilia, to discuss their latest production, The Great, and other works from their brilliant careers. The favourite, which of course Tony wrote, was nominated for an Oscar amongst many other awards. Tony's writing has spanned the best of Australian drama, including The Secret Life of Us, Love My Way, Spirited, Offspring, Tangle and Rush, he also developed and wrote the TV series of Star Wars for Lucasfilm. Marion has produced a dazzling array of work, from Lillian's story with Tony Collette, Gregor Jordan's Two Hands, Tony McNamara's The Rage in Placid Lake, and South Solitary, directed by Shirley Barrett. For today's discussion, we're going to look down the microscope of writing the great, I believe Hulu's most downloaded comedy drama ever. The great is... Hulu's new comedy starring Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt, and it takes a farcical and fictionalised approach to the life of the famed empress Catherine the Great. It's 10 episodes and 10 hours of wicked entertainment. The New Yorkers would say, how did Marion McGowan Films and Tony McNamara, the writer, hook up? When did this great creative business collaboration start, Marion? Um I think we met at a party, actually, uh, whilst Tony was still at uh, film school. And I can't remember where I went from there, but we I sort of read, I do remember reading all the plays that he'd been working on at the time, all the pieces that his agent had at the time. And the first piece that we developed together was a stage play of his called The Café Latte Kid, which we turned into a film called The Rage in Placid Lake, which we made in... Uh, 2003 and so that was the the beginning really mm-hmm. very play-based <laughs> and uh tony is that your memory of it as well yeah we met at a party in darlinghurst ah and, uh, i think marion was pregnant and That's right, i was too <laughs> we uh 
I think when we just chatted and then um, I remember, I think I was telling someone I'd met Marion and they were like, she's the best producer in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. And you, and you knew you knew no better at that time. <laughs> well, it certainly has worked. And by that stage, the great the stage play had been produced. No, no. Camo Life a Kid was like my very first play, and I think the great was probably like my fifth play. And I think I'd made we'd made Rage by then, hadn't we? Yeah. 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 So we had another thing we developed together. Uh, feature that didn't get off the ground and then I think 2009 I wrote The Great. And actually, I, we did the campaign and we did the um, the recruit. Yeah. Ah, yes. Yeah, we did too. We did too. Yeah, yeah. Still think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly had enough practice working with each other. At what stage did you start thinking The Great as a play could be a, at that stage feature film? Pretty much from when I saw it, um, it, it had such a strong female character and there'd been some conversations around finding strong female roles uh, at that time. And uh, in addition, it was also, um, it's, it's a political play, of course, mm-hmm. at its core, and that appealed, that, I think, Tony, is this right, you wrote it around the George Bush, George W. Bush? period yeah i guess so yeah i think i don't know which one which w, w w w w yeah i'm pretty sure it was it anyway just it's it had such a um a sort of a resonance for politics at the time in the sense the degree of responsibility you take and how you whether you stand up or not or whether you you know whether you take the the, the hard road or the easy road so mm. and the price that you pay for those things and i think it had all those ideas wrapped up in a story and I loved it the play is bifurcated so the first half of the play is the young Catherine and the second half of the play is the the older Catherine who's dealing with the consequences of her choices Mm. and that even though that proved to be difficult in adapting to screenplay it was a it was one of the most interesting compelling things to have the moment where she commits this act halfway through the story was just so powerful and compelling. Mm. And so, Marion, you approached Tony about writing it as feature film? Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I it, yeah. And how did you feel about that at the time, Tony? Oh, probably tired. <laughs> tired. Um, no, I was excited about the idea of it because um, I think at the time I'd sort of abandoned the field feature-wise. Mm. For a while I think we tried with the campaign and recruit and then you know I was making a living out of plays and I'd started doing a bit of tv with what my way and stuff but um and I so I hadn't probably written a feature for a while and then um it, I I was excited because it was like it's I mean feature films are a challenge and they take you it takes you a long time to learn the craft of how to write a feature film mm-hmm. so and Jill Armstrong was um, attached, so I was sort of interested in giving it a giving it a crack. You know, sounds great. And was the screenplay that Yorgos saw read and director's history, or was it the stage play? Uh, I got. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I know he read one of them. I don't know what he read, 
he yeah he read that and he read a spec feature I'd written. Um, so he read a couple of things. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I know he read the great because we had a chat about it. Yeah, yeah. And in that journey, when was it that you sort of looked at it, Marion and Tony, and then you suddenly thought maybe the great has a life as a television series? I believe it was Tony's wife's idea. Yes, my wife's idea. Well, that um, was a jolly good idea, wasn't it? Amongst, amongst others, amongst yeah, others. Amongst <laughs> others. Um, I mean, we we sort of got it, nearly got it up a couple of times. But yeah, I think she was like, you should do that as TV because, A, you really love TV, like you love making TV. And it's just such a great character and it's such a big story to tell in in that terms, which was one of the things we struggled with while developing the screenplay was the bifurcated nature, but also just we were telling the Catherines, um, you know, I mean, the 10 hours we've used for the first season was, was told first half. three minutes, you know, in a screenplay. So you, so it just seemed a good idea. And, um, and from there, it, you know, it happened quite quickly once we'd made that decision. Yeah. How did the favourite help you in this process at all? The success of the uh, not really because um, it wasn't out at the time. Like mm. um, we'd sold it, like the favourite had been shot, and then I written the, I wrote the pile, and then yours took a year or so to edit it. So in that year, I'd written the pilot for the great end. Um, you know, we'd gone and pitched it, taken the pilot out, and then there was a bunch of networks who were interested in it. And then we'd gone to LA and sort of pitched the, the show, the season to, or the bunch of seasons with Al to the networks. And then we chose Hulu and all of that happened. And we were shooting the pilot about, the, I think the pilot was being shot just as, yeah, just because we went to Venice where the favourite opened. And then literally I went from Venice straight to prep on the pilot of the the great. So we were shooting it while it was sort of doing the rounds and people were becoming aware of it. So it didn't help us other than um, afterwards, I think they, people got what I, we were doing, you know, because they're different, but they're similar, I guess. So um, it wasn't, it wasn't that, like, it didn't help us sell it and it didn't help us convince people what it was going to be really. But, I mean, after, I, I think it gave Hulu confidence that that there was an appetite for that kind of thing. Well, that actually makes my next couple of questions even more interesting. And this is probably, I sort of surveyed people and just said, what would you really like to ask Tony and Marion? And probably the most popular question um, is, how did you convince Hulu and the other investors about the tone of this piece? Well, I was just going to add on to Tony's. I do, yeah. I mean, he's absolutely right, but I do think what the sort of imprimatur of Yorgos and that whole sort of idea did help in, in a sort of subtextual kind of way, yes, I suspect, because I think one of the things that I used to, would, would come up, we would come up against when trying to sell the screenplay was we love the script, it's incredibly funny, it's so clever, it's so subtle, it's about so much, but it's so execution dependent. Mm. And there was nothing you could point to and say, it'll be like that or it'll be like, you know, it, it was a very, very tricky thing to give 
you know, and 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 people with money and investors and distributors and broadcasters and things, they they like the security of 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 a comparison. You know, that that sort of helps them understand where they are. So, I think in this kind of way, the the fact that the favourite was bubbling away was 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 helpful in that sort of way. I don't think you could put your finger on it at this point or that point, but I do think it's sort of bubbled yeah, away and helped us in that regard. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. And the screenplay of the favourite was, you know, in the world. Yeah. You, know, mm-hmm. you know, in Hollywood the screenplay had been around for, you know, a couple of years and it was a popular, um, you know, it was a popular screenplay. People really, really loved the screenplay and that had generated a lot of interest in uh, my work and, and ergo, you know, people, when the, we had the grade and we were going to take it out, people were interested in it because mm. they sort of knew that that, that the favourite was around and that that screenplay was good. And looking back on that, Marion and Tony, do you have any insights, you know, when people have these exciting new projects but they can be tricky to finance because, as you said, you know, there's nothing to really compare it to. Do you have any insights on how to pitch those kinds of projects? Get an Oscar nomination. That helps. Yeah, an Oscar. Oh, yeah, that's true. An Oscar <laughs> um, Up there. Pitch was important because, um, I mean, we, were, we had a pilot script that mm. people had responded to. But that doesn't mean, I think even after Hulu, bought it and even after I'd done a big pitch, they still weren't sure what the tone was. <laughs> you know, we still had a meeting with them where they were like, you know, what is, and, you know, and, you know, you can explain it as best you can, but really, I mean, kudos to Hulu because they really just punted, you know. They really were like, well, the pilot is kind of an expensive proof of concept. So the upside of that was, they didn't have a tone they wanted us to go for. They were very much like the point of the pilot is you proved, you show us what you mean. Yeah. And and if we like, you know, we sort of hear what you're saying but about it being comic but dramatic but real. But so I had a, I had a sort of, we had a kind of, the show doesn't really reach hard for the comedy. It's a very funny show but it's narratively a drama, so it's got an emotional resonance. So we had all that, but you can say whatever. <laughs> it's until you, you've got to get someone to bite the bullet and go, yeah, well, prove it. Um, and what was great about Hulu were they were very much like prove it. They weren't like we want it to be this. They were very much like we want it to be what you want it to be and hopefully that'll be coherent and and <laughs> not stupid, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, and it did, and it worked, and it got made. And once you actually got that money to develop the series, what were your first instincts, Tony, as a as a writer and the showrunner, in terms of your first steps towards doing this project? I think once the pilot got greenlit, and then um, and I'd written an, I'd written a second episode as part of the package. You know, we had to deliver a pilot and the second episode to get the green light. I mean, then it's putting together a room and then Mary and I talked a lot. I talked a lot about we understood where we wanted the show to go mm-hmm. over the season and then I knew, like, these five things happened and this is what's important to me and I know 
there were certain dynamics I wanted to build and and then it's just getting in the room and um, with the writer's room and just getting on the whiteboard and building it really and then doing research and then, you know, just kind of like, like it was pretty much what I thought it would be. Like structurally the season sort of was how I originally imagined it with one caveat that we changed the way it ended. I'm really interested and, well, look, another really big question is about how you made decisions about who was going to be in that writer's room and how they would contribute and their unique skill sets. I think you're, uh, well, I, I guess it's like you're trying to build a, my theory is, and I don't know whether it's right, you're trying to make a brain that's better than your brain that that is somehow a replication of your brain. <laughs> You know, it's got to understand your brain. Yeah, it's got to expand your brain. And um, we looked at a lot of people. Yeah, we wanted young, like, you know, there were obvious ones, young women. Yeah. We were like, it's a show about young, very young women. And so we wanted, um, you know, at least one very young female writer. and then there's sort of people who are very, polit- you know, political, I guess, Marin was the other thing we were looking for. Um, you, wanted a, you wanted a range of people's emotional experiences and emotional life experiences as well. So you wanted, you wanted people who could be strong on plot and structure and that not so much structure but plot, you know, who, because, you know, the story still has to, you know, it is about a court, it does have that sort of world that you have to occupy, that sort of political world you have to occupy. But we also want people, you know, sort of people who've not been lucky in love or the people who have been lucky in love as well as people, you know, you, what you're trying to find is exactly as Tony says, I think it's not just the brain, it's also the emotional intelligence as well. You want that sort of... That Probably more, yeah, even more so. I think it's, I mean, the show for, um, you know, everything yeah. in the room to me is character, even though there's a lot of narrative in the show. Um, so, you know, we did have people with a range of different, we had people who, yeah, were very inexperienced in life and people who were very smashed by life and people in between and people who are very interested in politics and then people who are only interested in relationships and then, you know, people who are super experienced. You know, it's good for a showrunner to have someone who's very experienced in the room just to cast a second eye because, you know, showrunners just, you're, you know, you're just filtering an enormous amount of information, you know, from the writers, you know, that you're building up with them, but you're also in this kind of hyper drive of sifting everything they say is useful or not useful. Um, yeah. So, really interesting, sorry to interrupt, Dad, a really interesting question asking, you know, who was in that writer's room? There was UK writer James Wood. Wood, yes. Yeah, Tess Morris. Greta Bauer. Yeah, Greta Bauer, who's an Australian, young Australian writer. And Amelia Roper. Amelia Roper, yeah. Oh, I hope I don't get any of these wrong. (laughs) Vanessa, Vanessa. Vanessa Alexander. Yes. Yes. Then we had um, we had sort of younger kind of like writers assistants and note takers in there as well. Main Wyatt we had for a while and Brooke. Um, God, I can't remember her surname. Um, I hope she's Paris. not <laughs> Brooke, Brooke, <surname. laughs> Brooke Wilcock, that was her name. Yeah. 
Well done. Very well done. Which brings me on to your various roles. So, Tony, you worked as you you were also showrunner on this. Many people do showrunning differently. How would you define your role as showrunner on this particular show? Um, I guess how would I describe? I mean, tiring. 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 Just exhausting on a cellular level. <laughs> um, it, well, it's a big. I mean, it was a big show, and um, I mean, you, you sort of writing it all and then you're sort of producing with Marion the episodes and um, and also because you're setting up the show creatively you're you know we're hiring all the hods and spending all the time you know I like spent a lot of time with Francesca on the stages walking deciding how we were going to build because we didn't build anything for the pilot so we just started from scratch building the entire palace for episode two onwards and then, you know, we had a new, because our original costume designer couldn't do it because she had a baby. You know, we're starting again. So I guess you sort of, I guess I'd describe it as you're trying to get everyone's brain into your brain in a creative sense. You're just trying to get everyone on the same page as what we wanted it to be, uh, which is really an enormous amount of work in a way on a show that's tonally very particular. There's a lot of wrong and there's not much right you know you know so it's easy to go wrong and it's 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 hard to get it right or it takes a long time to get everyone when you've got 180 people working on the show to get everyone on the same page of a show especially because we we're working in England they have such a history of period dramas that their default position and you know not I mean our production design team is more or less Italian um because we shot there as well and Francesca's Italian, but there was a kind of default position of perfection, which we didn't want with the British mm. period thing where they all kind of want to go there and we were like, well, we don't want that. It's a much more anarchic show. But, it, but you know, they're great craftspeople and artists, so you're asking them to do something badly <laughs> in a way. So I think, for, I think that's the job of showrunner is basically trying to get everyone in your brain of what you want the show to look like, feel like, be like. And then there's just all the day-to-day, you know, production stuff, I guess. Um, it sounds like a lot of the responsibilities and the communication was very collaborative between you and Marion the whole way through, virtually yeah. from start. Yeah, our offices are next door to each other. Um, with a window so we can see when the other one's like angry on the phone. Um. Marion <laughs> no idea what you're talking about no idea. Uh, Marion what I'm really interested in exploring with you is your relationship with Tony as writer and showrunner because you're also there dealing with the you know the wheels of the business but at the same time you're also there as a generator and a nurturer of the creative process. Do we talk a little, you're very good at it, talk about how you do <laughs> both of those things? I think the thing that was very different to, this was my first television experience, so the thing that was different to me from um, a feature film was essentially trying to work out what my role actually was because I, once we'd chosen to go with Hulu and Media Rights Capital, who were the studio who provided the, the deficit finance, so to speak, um, we became employees of them. 
So uh, we had a line producer who runs the day-to-day sort of budget. There's a whole production department at the studio. So, you know, getting them to show me and give me the cost report, for instance, so that Tony and I knew where we were could be, you know, was just, it's just I think they were unaccustomed to uh, producers of my in my role sort of having or wanting to see that kind of information. But mm-hmm. So it was as much as anything it was about that. So, But I didn't have to worry about putting the money together because they once we'd chosen those two things, that was putting the money together. Um, and then it was more about just making sure, exactly as Tony said, really, making sure we got the team that we needed to get what we needed on the screen to sort of to prove to Hulu what the tone was. And because, again, we were in England and we weren't dealing with people that we knew particularly. It wasn't like you were trying to put together here. So it really just became a question of trying to, so whatever Tony was doing, I was just making sure that I was filling in the gaps around that when necessary. So if I needed to go and talk, you know, there were certain areas I would talk to certain people probably a little bit more than he might in some areas just because that was the way the sort of the workload landed and things like that. But it was, it was a, for me, it was very much a question of working out what my job was and where I was, you know, where I needed to be and how, I, how much I did or didn't need to do. I mean, just to, yes, just to make sure that we were getting the right information as far as the critical, inf- critical sort of money information. Did we have enough money when they said we couldn't do something? You know, and there was a, there was a learning curve on that with, um, with the studio and with the, line producers as to how that operated. We ended up in a very good position with a terrific line producer. Tremendous effort. Yes, I'd Tony. also like just to tell Marion what her job was. Um, I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I think also one of the big things in our relationship that we should talk about or is that the having someone there who knew the show as well as I did or almost as well as I did and had been with the show for a long time and knew what we were, we had talked so much about what it was going to be for so long that you always had, that this is like an impossible job to do by yourself in a way. Yeah. And because and there's so much to get your head around as well as we were still writing the whole time and, you know, why we're still writing the whole time was that the ability to go to have someone where I would be, you know, have so many things. At, at times you're prepping episodes doing posts and shooting and writing new episodes. Like there was a period where all of that was happening at once. Uh, And then it becomes invaluable to be able to remove yourself, go into Marion's office and I can go, I'm thinking all of this, is this this the show? Does this still make sense of what we always said? You know, or have Marion go, you know, I'm seeing this or and it doesn't work what we thought, you know. So being able to have that rather than, because you just get, you know, it's a tsunami of information and, and problems you're dealing with all the time as well creatively as well as trying to, you know, create new scripts in the same process. But having like two of us being able to do that and having as the right, you know, I remember in those last finale, particularly those last two episodes, which was yeah. when we were, we were in prep, we were shooting and oh. <laughs> And I hadn't written, you know, purposely didn't do 9 and 10 for a long. I was really wanting to see a few episodes before I wrote it. But it put us in a tough spot because I had to write it really quickly. 
But then I also had to, at the last minute, we talked and we suddenly decided let's not finish the season the way we thought we were going to. So, but all of that happens, and, and that would be much harder if you didn't have someone who was you knew understood the show deeply as you do, you know. So, that I think uh, that's what's really clear that you're both married to the tone, you know, you both share that vision, and that is such a difficult thing to achieve both professionally and creatively. Yeah, I think it always told the tale because we, when we did post, we would edit episodes together and. I would say we always had 90% of the same notes and then there would be, you know, 10% where we were different. But but we always sort of had this solid, we both know what it is, you know. I think the other thing was, you know, I'd spent so long pitching it to distributors and financiers and investors that I kind of, yeah, that tone was embedded and trying to find language to describe it, as Tony was describing earlier about selling it to, to Hulu and trying to describe it to them. You know, you spend a long time trying to find a way to how can I best convey this idea so that yeah. you can see what it is that we've got in our heads. So um, a couple of things that I want to pick up on. One is historical accuracy. But um, before we do that, because it also sort of touches on this, I've got a great question about the diverse casting um, and the diversity in the great, do you want to talk a little bit about what was there originally, what happened in the casting process? I guess there was two. I mean, casting was really um, massively important because of the tone thing because it really, A, it shrinks the pool, who's able to bring off the tone, who can carry the drama and the comedy instinctively and not feel like it's a gear shift. All of that was something we were looking for so we spent a long time casting and we were very very careful about casting we didn't cast very quickly we talked we didn't just pull the trigger on people people came in and had coffee with us and after we liked them we would talk to them for an hour or so uh, get a sense of who they were and whether they were sort of this because we knew we would everyone had to be on the same page going in the same direction and, and hard to, so we need people who are just you know pros and nice people who we'd like to drink with. Um, <laughs> and then I think the diversity thing was just it just seems not. I mean the show's anachronistic anyway, and I was going to say that yeah. We were never like it's a, we were never it's not a history lesson, so it didn't make any sense to us that you wouldn't just cast like a contemporary show like should cast where it's you know I just it just wasn't that complicated a thing it was just like why would everyone be and it was a really good way of actually establishing the tone the tone and mm. feel of the whole as it turns out the anachronistic quality of it straight up although historic we did our historical yeah, exactly. um, we did discover subsequently that the his, the consultant said to us you know, you'd be surprised how many people of colour there were in the court of Russia, in most European courts. Yeah. There was more, a lot more movement between certainly some of the Middle East and Asia through to and Africa through to Europe than, than we imagined, probably yeah. because of all those straight white BBC dramas, if you think about it, who told us that they were all white. But it was, you know, it, it was a, it sort of became a, you know, a very efficient way in storytelling terms, actually, of getting what we needed as well as getting the perfect, you know, the right actors. Um, I've got another question here, which was, how did you go about selecting the directors to bring it to screen? 
And how do we go about it? Uh, we sort of just... Same process, really. Yeah, you just look for... I mean, directors are interesting in an American show. It's a different, a different thing to even Australian TV. I mean, they very much drop in for their eps. Um, we chose... I mean, we were just looking for people we felt um, were, decent, were good at comedy and had a, hand, had a feel for comedy and drama. So we looked for people who'd done comic dramatic things like um, Buxy, you know, Colin had done, you know, he'd done everything. But, you know, he did Miami Vice. But, you know, he'd done Breaking, you know, he won an Emmy for Breaking Bad and he'd done a lot of Better Call Saul, which is funny. And, uh, and we also just people with a little bit of style. I mean, the show's pretty formal on the whole, but it calls for some dashes of style here and there. So... We were just looking for a mix of experience and um, new people, and but just people we felt would sort of get the comedy and the drama of it, and that the that they would trust the actors. Like a lot of it comes down to on TV, the actors really manage the tone for you eventually, and they manage their characters, and they they know what it is. Um, so sometimes directors drop in and just. But, you know, they generally trust the tone the actors are pitching, you know. Wonderful. Um, what are the entry points for new writers in Australia, in your opinion? I think it's, uh, uh, to a degree it's, it's that writing assistant or note taker in a writer's room. That's definitely one sort of television entree. Um, I think for, in a film sense, it's, it's about writing things that get made. So it's the sh- it's, I think, you know, it's the short form entry point. I mean, I have to say I have done a lot of work with playwrights. Mm. Um, I think plays are there because they're such a great vehicle for the voice, the individual voice of the writer as opposed to the the craftsman or the, the, the sort of person who can deliver a story in a straightforward screen way. I think the play is very much about the voice, you know, and, and so, for instance, well, that's obviously Tony's background and, Gretel Vella, who's one of our young writers, she was a playwright as well, and Maine Wyatt, who was our note taker at one point, so playwright as, as well. So I think that's certainly where I've often um, segued to, just because you get a quicker and clearer sense of 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 a of a writer's voice, and that's really what you're what you're buying. I mean, if you're doing a long running series, it has to fit into a pattern, then that's a different skill set, you know, mm. but the voice is often what's interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think as a young writer, I know, like, I mean, well, Gretel's a classic example. You know, she's a playwright whose work I liked and she became my assistant um, and was my assistant and I was sort of mentoring her a little bit and then she became a writer on Dr. Doctor and then... Um, you know, I like, you know, think she's a terrific writer. So when I had the grade, I was like, come and do that. And I know Angie McDonald's another really good writer who similarly, Claudia and I, um, you know, she started doing notes in the room and then from there, and I think Gretel started doing notes in the room too. So I think often afters or NIDA have these programs where um, student writers come and do notes in a room. And I think that's a really has turned out to be a real way people get in the game um, and then because there are lots of good producers who do want to give you know Imogen Banks, John Edwards, us, you know Claude, you know um, Ian Colley, all these people 
have a commitment to bringing young writers through. So it is just a matter of trying to get in writers' rooms and taking notes and and being forward enough to go to the showrunner and producers, will you read my stuff? I mean, I mean, everyone's looking. There, you know, there are a lot of writers and really great writers aren't there aren't heaps, you know. So it's it's just that. I mean, you've got to be persistent and you've got to be a bit of you gotta and especially in Australia, you've got to have a little hustle, you know. It's not a big market. You gotta you've got to be a bit shameless about trying to get yourself out there, you know. Absolutely. I want to say to the people listening, if you haven't already done so, please put your Uggs on and your active wear and settle into that couch and download this very, very brave, brash and intelligently camp series and watch it uninterrupted. Um, It's fantastic. You're both very, very talented. Thank you for creating the great. Thanks, Priya. Thanks, Pia. You've been listening to Talks at Afters, an Australian film, television and radio school podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes. For show notes and other resources, head to afters.edu.au. That's afters.edu.au.